So kids, um, and uh, Janet and Noel, we began kind of a new thing while you guys were out. Uh, kids, come on front here for a little bit if you can, and actually children of all ages. So Max, if you want to join me, you can do <laughs> So um, just come on up and maybe we can have a seat up here for a second and, and chat. I don't know if you saw in the bulletin there were some questions in there for you to think about this morning, but did you uh, ever wonder, you know, did you, do you know what, what you can't do? In other words, the things that you find difficult to do, what can you do when you encounter those things? Like, can't you ask somebody for help or something like that, right? Yeah, but what about things that are impossible for everybody to do? Like, I'd like to be able to fly through the air like a jet, like Superman. But I don't think even mom and dad can help me do that one, right? No, not that. Well, one of those things is eternal life, okay? Um, or even, for that matter, life itself. We really don't have power over that as much as we might like to think we do. Um, and, uh, you know, this is an area that only God can help us out. The, the thing is, um, God demands that we be holy to be in his presence. Now, holy is kind of a funky word. It's not one we use very often. You probably didn't hear that one in your vocab list at school, right? But, you know, what does it mean to be holy? That's the thing. And actually, what it means is to be set apart or set aside for worship. You know, can you imagine something that would be so important that you would actually worship it? I mean, that, that category is pretty small, right? And actually, it's kind of a boundary at the same time because God says that Things that God is so holy, he says that things that aren't holy can't even be in his presence. So if we're going to one day stand in God's presence, we need to also be holy, right? Okay, but how do we do that? See, that's one of those things like being able to fly through the air like Superman, I think. I, I don't know if even, you know, the smartest people I know can really help me out with that one. But the boundary, it seems, you know, also, you know, works something like this. So things on the one side of the boundary, they're set aside for worship. Things on the other side of the boundary, we call those things sin. Okay, they're missing the mark. That's what sin means, actually. It missed the mark. Not a bullseye, not even close, probably. So, like, an example maybe at home would go like this. So... Your mom has a nice dinner table set, right? And that's where you eat food. What would happen if somebody, what would happen if dad, what would happen at our house if dad came in the house and took off his muddy work boot and set it right there in the kitchen table? See, that would kind of cross a boundary, right? You know, mom would be very unhappy probably, right? Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't belong there, right? And it's the same with other things that are sinful. They just don't belong in God's presence. 
I want to talk to the adults today about what we need to do so that we can be in God's presence. That is, how do we get to be holy so that we can be with God? How's that sound? Sound like a good message? All right, why don't you let me talk to the big people here and see if we can make some sense out of this one. Okay? All right, head on back. So that's the preview, guys. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord. So I've titled the message, my message this morning, What Does It Mean to Be Christian? And I believe that this is an appropriate message for a thank offering Sunday because it's particularly, it, it gives us particularly the best reason I can imagine to be thankful. And that reason, of course, is Jesus Christ and his work for us, his salvation, and the promise that he's going to continue that work through to our holiness. Um, so I have a story that's kind of an analogy to go, let, go with this. And kids, this is why there's a puppy dog taking a bath on the cover of your bulletin. So... Um, goes like this. There was a farmer that had a dog, and he loved his dog very much. His dog was his best friend. His dog slept at his feet and, and in his bed, but the dog, the dog had a bad habit. The dog liked to go out in the farm field and roll in manure. <sighs> and when the dog did this, of course, the farmer could no longer have the dog come into his bed and snuggle with the dog. And he wanted to. He longed to hold his dog. But the dog needed to sleep out in the garage on nights that he was stinky like that. And the farmer, all night long, the farmer could hear the dog crying out in the garage. And he so much wanted to go and hug and hold his dog. See, the analogy here is that this is what sin kind of does to us. It keeps us separate from, from God. But, you know, did you notice the master didn't stop loving his dog? And isn't it good news that our sin doesn't stop God's love from flowing to us. It didn't stop Jesus from going on that cross. Now, I mean, I assume none of us here has any deep-seated desire to go out and roll in manure. But <laughs> um, nonetheless, we all do struggle with our own sinful natures. And I think these things vary from people to, from person to person. But isn't it good news that it doesn't separate us from the love of God? But what would change the dog's character? If only his master could communicate adequately with the dog. Well, fortunately for us, God, our master, has communicated with humanity. So how do we become holy? And by that I mean set aside for worship, actually 
the antiquated term here, what we are to become, are saints. That's where the word comes from. Now, <clears throat> the term today seems to be reserved for, you know, in, at least in Catholicism, for those who de demonstrate their kind of saintiness by works, and, and even though it's fallen out of our modern language, it's still what our goal ought to be. But how then? And I think that there are a few things that are required, and I think this is the kind of the center hinge of Christianity. You know, for those of us in confirmation class or those that remember theirs, you know, I want to take us back a second. First, we need to admit that we do not hit the mark on our own. That's what being sinful is. We miss the mark. None of us can be holy on our own. We need to acknowledge that our need for salvation, we, we need to acknowledge our need for salvation, recognize that Christ is that solved. For those of us who recall confirmation or the acronym TULIP, you know, the T in TULIP stands for total depravity. Now that sounds awful, and I think it is, but it means that we are totally unable to attain our own holiness. We can't do it. Secondly, Christians believe that we're loved and accepted by God. And I think this also helps us it also helps if we realize that everyone around us is also, by the way. This forms the you in TULIP, that is unconditional election. God chose to work in our lives, not because we made some sort of choice, but by his own uh, choice. And in this, uh, we ought to be very thankful today. So third, we're made holy when we accept Christ as the sacrifice that restores us to God. This forms both the L and I in the TULIP acronym, that is limited atonement. Um, Calvin's term was limited atonement. I'd like to say it more like love. Here's why. I want to tell a little story about this. Maybe you've heard this. Um, it's a story about a man who growing up, he and his best friend did everything together. But as they moved on from high school, they fell out of contact with each other. And the one became a lawyer and then eventually a judge. And one day in the judge's own courtroom, he saw his old friend on trial for a crime that he obviously committed. So the judge had to find his friend guilty it would be unjust for him not to. But he realized the wretched state of his friend at the time and knew the man couldn't afford to pay a fine. So the judge assessed the man a $1,000 fine. The court was dismissed and the judge called his old friend to his chambers after the hearing and paid the fine himself for his friend. This is called a ransom, and it's, or a redemption, which, you know, is why Christ is our redeemer. Um, and I believe our goal 
should be like that judge, to throw everything onto the cross, throw our offenses onto the cross, so that we are not offended with other people, and then risk and sin ourselves. And at the same time, if you're the one that has offended, realize that you've got what it takes to be right with God. And that is the I in the TULIP acronym, the irresistible grace. Uh, Like the judge in my story, God has granted you grace beyond what you deserve. It's grace that we can't even run away from. It's love that actually demands a response. So fourth, we are to repent and turn away from our sin. And on this one, I want to be clear because I think we all have our areas. Um, Just that I'm not ensnared the same way some other folk might be. We need to be careful not to point out that Somehow your sin or their sin seems to be greater than mine, which we have a tendency to do. But yet sin is sin. And in God's eyes, sin is sin. It doesn't matter how big the manure pile the dog rolled in, it's still manure. You don't want it in your bed. Right? Um... The P in the TULIP acronym is perseverance. And God helps us to persevere in our repentance and transformation into Christ-likeness. We need to be open to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. For me, that spirit usually shows up as thoughts in my mind, sometimes answers to prayer, sometimes Uh, situational promptings. I'm here because that situational, the situation being seeing the need for a pastor at this pulpit. And a prompting in my mind to fill that position, right? Um, But it could be something like this. It could be seeing the hungry at McDonald's and buying the man a hamburger. Don't let your greed, our greed, cheat us out of something better, and that is the joy of helping somebody else. Sometimes the spirit is an instant realization of right or wrong, but either way, in a nutshell, I think this is Christianity. It is the belief that Jesus has made us right with God in an all-surpassing gift of love on the cross. Imagining back to my courtroom story, if the guilty were deserving of capital punishment, what it would take for someone to stand in on that. Because that's the proposition here. That's you and I, and someone did stand in for us. Um, We're called to focus on the sort of love that that would take. And in so doing, let go of the unnecessary garbage in our lives and take on the character of love that is Jesus Christ and using our talents to further God's kingdom as they're developed and refined by the Holy Spirit's prompting in us. 
But so you might say, if it's that simple, why are there so many denominations and divisions across the church? And I think that we need to view these, I, I think it's how we view these things. The Spirit has gifted each of us somewhat differently. And so I might tend to think that, you know, my ability to use knowledge and logic is the way to go. But someone else might just feel it here and now. And so the differences between us become bigger in separating barriers down the road if we're not careful. That's one. But I don't think we should really be hung up on the academic differences of our founding sects. Um, you know, I mentioned Calvin and Irresistible Grace earlier. But the juxtaposition to that would be Armin and his prevenient grace. If you don't even know the word prevenient, what difference does it make, guys? Really, we're really on the same page here. Um, also, there's, I, I, I think that we would not have separated into these sects today if we could see the world today 500 years ago. So for example, no one believes that we need a state church any longer or that we all need to attend worship the same way or that there ought to be punishment for those that don't or that baptism should somehow be registration for draft or something along that line. Anybody believe those things any longer? No. We've moved past them. So I think that the spirit is what joins us together also. It's not just a spirit that helps intercede and intervene in our own lives and keep us on the right track, but it's also a spirit that joins us together in unity, in faith. As the, we said in our uh, responsive reading today, Jesus stays with us in spirit. And, and this is what my concluding remark is with this. I think Jesus stays with us in spirit. He renews our hearts. He moves us to faith. He leads us in the truth. He stands with us in our need and makes obedience fresh and vibrant. The spirit's gifts are here to stay. They're rich in variety. They're fitting responses to timely needs. We thankfully see each other as gifted members of the fellowship, which delight in the creative work of the Spirit. He gives us each more than enough for God's praise and our neighbor's welfare. For these things, we are thankful on Thank Offering Sunday. For the love of God, for the sacrifice of Jesus and for his ever-present spirit. So for our benediction today, may Christ dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, Amen.